Well, grab your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. As Andy read for us earlier, we're going to be in verses 17 to 24 today. 1 Corinthians 7, and we'll be in verses 17 to 24. It says, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called an uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Well, for the last several weeks in 1 Corinthians 7, the topic has been marriage and marital relations and marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And here in this section, Paul is breaking from the focus on marriage. He's breaking from the focus on the marital relationship exclusively, and yet he's also continuing the same theme through these verses. He's continuing the theme of remaining as you are called. As a Christian, remaining on as you are called. And the big idea today that I want to convey to you is that I want you to be able to rest in God's design for your life. And this might be the most Joel Osteeny I will ever sound. Uh, But you see that the title of today's message is You Get to Be You. And there's encouragement in that. You get to be you because God has made your life. He's designed your life. He's brought you to this point. And the, big, the first big thing to know in that big idea is that because He is sovereign over your circumstances, your circumstances are good. Because the Lord is sovereign over your circumstances, your circumstances are good, are good. And I, I really enjoyed studying this. Uh, We're going to spend the majority of the time unpacking that first statement that because He's sovereign over your circumstances, your circumstances are good. Um, And I hope that you guys get as much out of this as I did uh, during this study. But God is building His church, and He's designing it just as He wills. This includes great diversity. He's in charge of putting all the pieces together, brick upon brick, building His church. And there is great diversity in the church of God. There is great diversity in the Christian community. This is God's design. And so I want you to think about church, that word church. And there are lots of things that can come to your mind when you hear the word church. But I want you to think, is church supposed to be more like a black tie affair or like a rodeo? (laughs) Now, I know what the majority of you want, okay? Is it supposed to be more like a black tie affair or like a rodeo? Um, you know, people want to avoid stuffy high church, right? The, what might come to mind with a black tie affair. They like the idea of a rodeo type setting where, you know, you go and it's fun. <laughs> black tie affair isn't fun, um, but it's more relaxed at a rodeo. There are some of us, though, who would prefer perhaps more of the more formal style of things and less of the laid-back rodeo atmosphere. But as you think through this, and there are all kinds of things we could draw out from that silly illustration, but um, there's a problem with both camps there in that 
both camps demand some level of social conformity. So imagine you were going to a rodeo, but you dressed up like you were going to the black tie affair. (laughs) You would not fit in. And imagine you're going to a real fancy dinner, and you dressed like you were going to a rodeo. (laughs) That would be a problem, wouldn't it? You would feel out of place because there wasn't a measure of conformity. You didn't conform yourself to the group. Well, in the church, we don't call for that sort of conformity. You get to remain as you are. You get to be who you are. And the church is the only institution on the face of the planet that allows for this level of diversity. It's an amazing thing. And I have a passion for all of us being ourselves for God's glory in His church. I'm passionate about that. Because we all have different backgrounds. We all have different preferences. We all have different gifts. We certainly have different opinions. And I want you to be just who you are in the Lord with us. Isn't that a great idea? Isn't that a marvelous thing? Isn't that a wonderful thing? No other institution on the face of the planet offers that type of diversity. Only biblical churches offer such a thing. And I love Orchard Hills Bible Church and the diversity that we have here. We do have a pretty big scope of diversity. Lots of different backgrounds, people raised in all kinds of different situations. And I can't wait until we get more and more diversity because we need each other in the midst of this diversity. We depend on one another. If we were all the same, if we were all of the same opinions and of the same mindset and of the same background, we wouldn't be helping each other. We would just be affirming one another and what we already have. But as we come together, being who we are in the Lord, we get to challenge each other. We get to help each other grow. And we get to reflect something truly beautiful. There are lots of cults and wayward movements out there that demand external uniformity, that demand some sort of conformity that isn't from the heart, it isn't from faith. It's just, well, if you're part of this group, you look like this, you talk like this, you act like this, yada, yada, yada. That's not beautiful. There's no beauty in that, in that outward external conformity. But in the church, I love what Joseph prayed earlier about God interrupting us. In the church, God interrupts us in our lives. And you weren't doing what I was doing when you got interrupted and when I got interrupted. We were all at different stages of life, doing different things in our life when God interrupted us and brought us together. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that He's building His diverse church. We all have different social conditions, not just from before we were saved, but even now as we're living our lives, we live in different social conditions. And that's a term I'm going to use. I don't really know what other term to use. So if you hear the term social conditions, that's, I'm referencing just your manner of life, your background, your culture, all that you bring to the church. But I don't want you to ever let any Christian make you feel like you need to change who you are. I don't want you to ever feel pressured into caving into some sort of external conformity to a group because you think that your social status, your social condition should be changed to fit in better or to be more spiritual or to be closer to God because that is not what God is doing in building His church. He has planned for this diversity. He has planned for you not to change who you are, but to be exactly who you are in the Lord. And that strengthens the church. 
That strengthens the whole institution. Now, the great exception to all of this, of course, is rebellious living. We read earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, back in chapter 5, that there was a man who had his father's wife, and he was to be addressed. He was to be removed from the people of God. Any sort of rebellious living, any sort of sinful living that goes against the Word of God cannot be tolerated in the church. Yet outside of that, we have immeasurable tolerance. Isn't that amazing? We have strict intolerance against sin. That's the way it should be. Yet when it comes to things that aren't sin, we should have all kinds of tolerance. We should have unlimited tolerance that we would come together and make this diverse church that God has built. So remain in the way you are called, with the exception of that rebellious living. For instance, it's not fair for someone to, you know, be engaged in maybe four or five types of habitual lifestyle sins, come to know the Lord and say, well, that's just the way I am. God called me to remain this way, to remain as you are called. That's not okay. (laughs) The Word of God speaks directly to those types of things. However, if you feel out of place in the world just because of your personality and your background and whatnot, don't change who you are just to match the people around you. Instead, be yourself because you get to be you. Doesn't that just sound like Joel Osteen? You get to be you. (laughs) I need bigger and brighter teeth. Uh, You get to be you. Well, Paul says here in verse 17 of our text today that this is his directive for all the churches. He says, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk, and so I direct in all the churches." It's a rule for all the churches. Don't reject the status or the condition that you have from God. There are two words in here I want to pull out. First is the word assigned. Isn't that an interesting word? The Lord has assigned to each. The word quite literally means to divvy out as the Lord has apportioned, as the Lord has given a portion of to you. God has done this in your life. He's set your life. He's ordained your life. He's brought you to this point. That word for assigned, meaning to divvy out, is the same word used when Jesus fed the 5,000. It says that He prayed over the bread, and He broke the bread, and they just kept breaking and portioning out, divvying out all the bread. The bread was assigned to each one, and so your life was assigned to you. Paul and his apostleship, his apostleship was assigned from God. God gave him the office of apostle as his assignment. That's what it means that the Lord has assigned. He's given you your life. He's put you in this place. He's assigned it to you. The other word is called. Called. So it says, as the Lord has assigned to each and as God has called each. I want you to turn back to the beginning of this letter, chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, and see where this word is used in verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just a few pages back. And look at verse 9 with me to get the sense of what called means. It says, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the assignment from God has to do with your life circumstances, and the calling from God has to do with coming into the church through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's connect these dots here that God has called you, He has brought you to faith, God has made you a Christian in the midst of your assignment, your life assignment, the way that you have your life that God has given you. 
God has made you a Christian in the middle of your assignment. This obviously can be referenced to our marital status. Again, the whole context of chapter 7 up to this point has to do with the marital status. You had people saying, well, look, I was married to an unbeliever, and then I became a Christian. I was, we were pagans together, and then I became a Christian, so now I must reverse this and get remarried to a Christian, right? And Paul says, no, keep remaining. He, he gave you that assignment. He assigned it to you. Now remain as you are called. He ordained that you would be saved in those circumstances. So embrace the circumstances. Some people might think, well, I've got this job that it keeps me from doing all the Christian things I want to do. They demand so much. I I work so much or I'm so distracted or yada, yada, yada. Remain as you are called, Paul says. As the Lord has assigned, remain as you are called. God has ordained it to be so that you would get saved in the middle of those circumstances. We're going to look here in just a few verses at ethnicity. Now, wait a second. I'm not Jewish. I became a Christian, but I don't know anything about the Old Testament. And that could be said probably for maybe everybody in this room. (laughs) When you got saved, how much did you know about the Old Testament? Well, you knew Jonah and Noah. Sometimes you get them mixed up. Moses, all that, Carlton Heston. Uh, You know, you know these things about the Old Testament. But I'm not, I'm not Jewish. I don't have all that background. And God says, doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. You get to be you. It'll be okay because God ordained those circumstances. Or maybe even, I live in Utah. I can't be a Christian here. I got to go somewhere else where all the other Christians are. There are Christians here, of course. But you think of the Bible Belt, you know, our our friend Travis just moved to Florida and they're like Bible conferences every other day popping up all over the place because it's the South (laughs) and they've got all these resources and how great is that? And we can sometimes long to be in different circumstances and maybe in a different place because it would be easier to be a Christian there or we'd fit in better, whatever it may be. Don't worry about it. You get to be you right where God has you as the Lord assigned when He called you. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) Isn't that good? It might not be, you know, what we want. You can think of those people in those marriages who were asking, well, should we redo this marriage thing? And maybe that's what they wanted to do. Maybe if they had it their way, they would just divorce the pagan and go find a Christian. But it's exciting knowing that God assigned it. Now, He's not the author of sin. He's not pushing people into sin. But in His mysterious way, He ordains whatsoever comes to pass. He's in charge of all this. And when He redeemed you, He knew full well what your circumstances were. And we are to see see that as an assignment from God to remain as we are called in the way of life, the manner of life that God has given us. We have over here on the wall one of our core values. We live for God wherever we are, knowing He has put us there. That's not just a pithy statement to make you feel good. Every word of that we intend. We, Christians, collectively, together, this is something we encourage each other in. This is something we do together. We live for God. We are focused mentally, emotionally, on living for God to appeal to the gospel in all manners of life, wherever we are. Not just in the ideal, not just in what we want, but in what God has given us, because that is best. 
Our circumstances are good because God is sovereign over our circumstances. So wherever we are, we live for God knowing He has put us there. He is in charge of our lives. He is over our lives. He's sovereign over our lives. We live for God wherever we are, knowing He has put us there. And so for the one who becomes a Christian, your saved condition, your social condition, is sanctified to you because you've gotten saved in it. And God has set you apart as a Christian. He's assigned you those circumstances. He's been in charge of this since the beginning. I want to read you a quote. I've just got two quotes today, both short ones from Gordon Fee. I love reading Gordon Fee. He says, Becoming a believer does not require one to seek change of status. I like that. Becoming a believer does not require one to seek change of status. Now, of course, again, the exception to this is rebellious living. You must be challenged on that and corrected on that. But outside of that, where you live, what you do for a living, who you're married to, remain as you are called, as the Lord has assigned to each. He's in charge of that stuff. And this is a case for joyful rest. I tell you what, kicking back against reality doesn't work. It wears you out, and you get nowhere. <laughs> reality is reality. God ordaining your circumstances, bringing all things to pass, and saying, these are your circumstances, that is reality. And you can't really change that. <laughs> there are certain degrees to which God has allowed us to make changes, but God is the one who ordains whatsoever comes to pass. And there's a phrase that I like to use with my children, embrace your reality. When they're getting in trouble, embrace your reality. They can't have seconds or whatever they want, embrace your reality. I'm in charge, bucko. Embrace it. And so God, being the capital S sovereign over our lives, He's given us our reality and we need to embrace it because it is good. God has made it. It is good. And he's going to get into two issues here. Paul is the issue of ethnicity and the issue of slavery. So let's look at verses 18 and 19. With all this in our minds, take it into the scenario of ethnicity. Paul writes, Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called an uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. And then again, verse 20, each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. We're covering eight verses today, and in three of those verses, you have this statement, remain in the condition in which you were called. It's a big point of of the passage. So he's talking about ethnicity, and he speaks about it from both ways. You've got Jewish people who are circumcised and the Gentiles who are not, and he says, no matter which side you're on, don't look to reverse it. Don't look to be on the other side. And there's a chance that there were Jews in Corinth who were ashamed of their ethnicity, ashamed to be Jews. This is not extremely likely. It's most likely that Paul was just speaking from both sides for the sake of the argument. Uh, But perhaps there were Jews ashamed of their heritage, seeking to be uncircumcised, which commentaries informed me is possible. I will not get into the science of that today, but just so you know, that was something that was done. When Jews would go out and they would engage in Olympic affairs or they would be involved in any kind of sport where they perhaps could be exposed, they would 
seek to reverse that thing because they were ashamed of their heritage and ashamed of that physical sign. What's most likely, though, is the other way where he says, are any of you uncircumcised? Are any of you called while uncircumcised? Don't be circumcised. There were, quite likely, Gentiles who were ashamed of not having a Jewish heritage. Gentiles ashamed of being raised in a pagan home. And they thought that circumcision would make them more acceptable to God. They thought taking on this covenant sign, because you know that's what circumcision is, the covenant sign given from God, taking that on would make them more acceptable before God. It would make them more acceptable in the Christian community. And logically, they were to do that. But Paul says that's not the way it should be, because God does not favor any ethnicity. God doesn't favor one ethnic group over another. We don't get close to God by outward signs, but we get close to God by keeping His commands. Again, Gordon Fee, he says, the gospel absolutely transcends and thereby eliminates altogether all merely racial distinctions, or you could say ethnic distinctions. The gospel absolutely transcends and thereby eliminates altogether all merely racial distinctions. This was a a huge statement from Paul for the Jews who were part of the community. Look at verse 19 with me again. Think as a Jew, now a Christian, trying to grapple with this. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Now, you know what a Jew would say in response to that, right? Being circumcised is keeping the commands of God. What do you mean? What do you mean that it's nothing, but keeping the commandments is something? Getting circumcised is keeping the commands. That would be what was in their mind. But what Paul is stating here is that their proximity to the Old Covenant law and their adherence to the Old Covenant law and their ethnicity itself are insignificant individually. It's interesting because the circumcision was a sign. And here Paul is saying it's, that sign is insignificant. It's a sign that is insignificant in the Lord. Because the gospel comes along and says the law has been fulfilled. The law doesn't come, or the gospel doesn't come along and say, and keep doing all of those old covenant laws. The new covenant says the law is written on your heart. It's finished. Jesus has paid the price. Jesus has lived the law. It's all done. And now, in light of the gospel, go out and follow the love of God. Go out and live the love that we see in the gospel. This is what Paul is calling the Corinthians to over and over again in this letter. You remember chapter 3, where he was talking about the spiritual and the carnal? And he said he couldn't talk to them like they were spiritual people. He's calling their minds back to living out the gospel, living out the good news, living out the example that Jesus gave for us, living in light of the reality that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, having a life that reflects that. In chapter 6, we just covered this a few weeks ago, where he says, such were some of you. He listed off all those sins, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleansed, you were sanctified, you were justified. 
in that reality now, live for God. Go out and live in light of the gospel reality. He's saying to the Jewish Christians here that nationality and religious heritage doesn't do anything for them before God. For the Jews who were in the church in Corinth, if they were to impose their preferences onto the Gentiles, they were doing harm because circumcision is nothing. And their religious heritage, though helpful and good, that did nothing for them individually. It's nothing. It's nothing. What matters is right now, are you keeping the commands of God? That's what matters. So think about this. As Christians now in the year 2021, did you grow up in a God-fearing house? Or did you grow up in a God-hating house? In this sense, it doesn't matter. What matters is, do you know the Lord and are you keeping the commands of God? Are you living in light of the gospel? Are you changed by the reality of what Jesus has done in your behalf? Of course, there's great value to a Christian home. My wife and I are working really hard to make our home a Christian home for our children. God uses the home. But in this sense, when it comes to your individual standing before God, God-fearing house, God-hating house, it's nothing. Are you keeping the commandments of God? Do you today know God? That's Paul's argument. Do you know God? That's what matters. What matters is gospel living, following the commands of Jesus Christ, loving God and loving neighbor. So you might be wondering, when you read such a statement, uh, let's see, back in uh, verse 18, when it says, was any man called in uncircumcision, he is not to be circumcised. If you're thinking, you know, with the whole New Testament in view, you might remember that Paul circumcised Timothy. Now, why did he do that? Because it's the same Paul. Paul's writing here saying, if he was saved in uncircumcision, he's not to be circumcised. And yet we see Timothy getting saved in uncircumcision, and Paul circumcised him. Well, what's the deal with that? If circumcision is, is nothing, well, what's the point? Well, there's a difference between seeking divine acceptance or seeking social acceptance through an outward sign and serving the weaker or contextualizing your ministry. So, in the sense that Paul is writing here to the church in Corinth, he's saying, don't do such a thing if you think you're earning divine favor. Don't do such a thing if you are looking to meet the demands of men, to be accepted in the church. That's not appropriate. A Christian shouldn't do that. However, there are cases in which you need to contextualize your ministry, and that's what was going on with Paul and Timothy. They were going to speak to some Jews, and that would have been a stumbling block, a hindrance for the gospel. And so they were serving the weaker in that way. And Paul picks up on this point in the next chapter. We'll get to this soon. Look at chapter 8, the last verse of the chapter, verse 13. Paul's talking about eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. Someone throws a big bull onto a fire in the name of a false god, and then they go sell that meat at a meat market. Can Christians eat the meat? Some people say yes, some people say no. Well, look at Paul's perspective. Though, even though Paul thought he was free to eat it, he says this in verse 13, "'If food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, 
so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. That was Paul's perspective. He was going to serve the weaker brother. He was going to do what he could to remove all stumbling blocks and all hindrances. And I think that's what was going on with Paul and Timothy back in the book of Acts. They were contextualizing their ministry. They were serving the weaker. And we understand this. We do it all the time in a variety of ways. We alter our behavior. We alter our dress. We alter whatever it may be so as to not be a stumbling block to another or a hindrance to another. So, for instance, uh, if someone wanted to have a, a really strong evangelistic ministry among the Amish, it probably wouldn't be smart for that person to go get sleeve tattoos and nose rings and eyebrow rings and earrings, right? Uh, probably wouldn't help in the ministry. Even though there's freedom to do that, they're setting aside their freedom to serve the weaker. And in Timothy's case, it was uh, a painful service, wasn't it? It was something that was... Uh, really an extreme display of service that he would do such a thing for the sake of the ministry. Well, after speaking to ethnicity, we see in verses 21 and 22, Paul talks about slavery. He says, were you called while a slave? Don't worry about it. But if you are able also to be, become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. Hmm. Interesting example to use, but very pertinent in Corinth. It's estimated that somewhere between a third and a half of the people in their culture at that time were engaged in some sort of slavery. So a lot of people were enslaved at that time. And we, again, we always have to, you know, remind ourselves of this. We can't have our minds go to American Civil War era slavery. We need to think and consider the context, the type of slavery that was going on. Now, I'm not going to stand here and pretend like, oh yeah, slavery was great. Everybody wanted to be a slave. That's not the case. Um, but it also wasn't the type of slavery that America's history includes. Slavery wasn't ideal for many, obviously. There are obvious reasons. But for many, it was better than the alternative. To tell somebody that they weren't going to have consistent housing, consistent work, consistent food, and they were to go off on their own in that culture, it would have been difficult for many people. And so, even though freedom would be desired over slavery, there were, for some people, consistencies offered to them in slavery. But either way, the proper Christian mindset that's presented here in verse 21 is to not worry about it, but to remain. How many Christians could stand up and say, if slavery were reinstituted in this type way, could stand up and say, did you get saved while you were a slave? Don't worry about it. Think of all the social justice conversations that are taking place right now. And here Paul is saying, don't worry about it. How countercultural is this, that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would say such a thing? Now, he doesn't present the case as though it is so inflexible that you could never leave. He says there in verse 21, if you're able to get your freedom, do so. If God presents the opportunity, go for it. That's fine. But it isn't to consume you, this idea of wanting to become free. But you are to remain in the assignment that God has given you. You were called in the midst of this assignment. And it's the same idea with marriage. When Paul said, you must not divorce, that's the command to the Christians. 
you must not divorce. If that pagan spouse agrees to remain with you, to carry on, you must not divorce. But if he or she leaves, you're free. Don't try to stop that person. Then you're free. Remain in the assignment that you were given because God called you in that assignment He gave you. Paul's point here, of course, is embrace your reality. This is the big point. You are to cherish what the Lord assigns, and you're to wait on God. That's a phrase perhaps we've used before, wait on God. Cherish what He has assigned to you and wait on God. And he presents a great theological paradox here in verse 22 that here's this Christian who's a slave. Well, he's actually God's freed man. He's free in the Lord. He has come to know the freedom that Christ offers, that the bondage of sin has been released, the chains of sin have been released, and he can carry on as a slave living like a free person. Isn't that amazing? And yet the free man, perhaps even the slave owner, the one who oversees his own slaves, He's lived his whole life free and has looked down on slaves. And now in the Lord, he is to reckon himself a slave to God. He's to carry on in his assignment in slavery to his Savior. Isn't that a wonderful, beautiful paradox found in the gospel? That they can carry on in their assignment, yet with a totally new perspective. They can continue on in the same thing they were doing, yet with a totally revolutionized perspective on life. Yeah, I might be wearing chains, and yeah, I might, according to the law, be under ownership of this man. But in Christ, I am free, and his heart is free, and he lives like a free man. And the free man might look around and say, yeah, according to the law, nobody owns me, but I'm God's slave. I wake up every day bowing the knee before my master, a free man saying that. The gospel revolutionizes a person's mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It doesn't say go out and transform your circumstances because you don't like them. Remain as you are called and be transformed in your mind. The world is always trying to revolutionize the world. The world's always trying to transform things out there in the culture. They're always trying to switch out the fruit. We don't like the orange tree, and so we're going to pluck them off and try to stick apples on there. And the gospel comes along and uproots the tree, makes you a new tree. The gospel transforms an individual mind, an individual heart. It redeems the soul. And that person can carry on, continuing as they were, yet with a totally new perspective on life. The slave is free. His status totally turned on its head by this spiritual reality. And the free is a slave. (laughs) His status totally turned on its head by this spiritual reality. And so the idea is, let's just continue on carrying on, caring about what God cares about. Again, verse 19, what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Living in accordance with the gospel of grace loving one another from a gospel perspective, serving God from a gospel perspective, living in the Spirit as opposed to the flesh. Again, over and over again to the Corinthians, walk by the Spirit. Quit being so tied up in your flesh, 
but appeal to the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. He's among us corporately. He's with us individually. Walk by the Spirit. That's what matters. Remaining in the called condition as faithful stewards of God's grace. That's what matters. Remain on as a faithful steward of the grace given to you. You get to be you. Don't try to change. So with all that understood, I want to conclude by talking about how there is no room for worldly prejudice or bias either in your heart or in the church. No room for it. Any of the worldly prejudice or bias that exists, maybe you grew up with, no room for that in your heart or in the church. All forms of racism must be rejected. All forms. Here he is saying, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. That's what happens in the gospel. Your race doesn't advance you in the sight of God. But what's the old saying? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. All forms of racism die in the gospel. And this includes the popular notion of critical theory, critical race theory, critical gender theory, all these things. All the attacks, whether it's white people attacking people who are not white, or whether it's minorities saying, you have to repent of your whiteness. All of that dies in the gospel. No form of racism can exist with the gospel. This includes all forms of discrimination and favoritism. So you like the way, you know, a person... uh, who knows? Fill in the blank. The, the way that the person goes about doing their life, man, uh, you know, does this or does that according to your preferences. You favor it. You think it's best. You think it's smart. You think it's good. Don't put favoritism on others that God doesn't put on people. He doesn't show favoritism or partiality. You know those verses in the New Testament? God does not show partiality. There's no room for worldly prejudice or bias in your heart or in the church. Your social status is totally irrelevant to your standing before God. And that's great news. Because I'm looking around this room, and you guys look pretty good. Except for that one. (laughs) We look pretty good, but none of us is like, you know, top 10 richest person in the world. And no one's really on that trajectory in this room. No one is like on GQ's most handsome man of the year thing, right? Okay, we, here we are just as normal people, <laughs> as, as you can define normal, here we are as uh, people, and uh, you know, Paul talks about this to the Corinthians saying, not many of you were wise, not many of you were strong, here we are, we fit that category, and your social status doesn't get you anything individually before God, isn't that great? The gospel is for everybody. Therefore, we aren't to impose any preferences we might have. And yet at the same time, we shouldn't be so inflexible that we ignore our own opportunities for change. Just like the one who is a slave, he is to embrace his social status that God has given him and carry on. But if there's an opportunity for change that the Lord presents to him through prayer and counsel, be free. Be free. That's fine. So you don't like... You know, living here, maybe. Well, remain as you are called. But if the Lord opens a door through prayer and counsel, off you go. And we'll bless you while you do it. 
though it's painful sometimes. Don't become slaves of men seeking some status over and against someone else. Look at verse 23. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. I mean, what is seeking to appease all the social standards? What is seeking to play someone else's game so that you're approved in their sight? That's slavery, isn't it? That is absolute slavery to a system. And there's no room in the church for that. No room. Zero tolerance policy on that. (laughs) We are not to take freed people in the Lord and make them slaves to our own preferences. And there are so many churches that manipulate people based on that type of thinking. Not in God's church. All rebellious living we're strictly intolerant about. But outside of sin, unlimited tolerance. We are to be a diverse people as God has placed us and saved us here in His church. Let's look at Galatians 3 together. Just turn forward a couple of books. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Another amazing truth that Paul drops on a church that goes totally against what the culture says. Galatians 3.28. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So whether you are a free Jewish male or an enslaved Greek female. doesn't matter in God's sight when it comes to your standing before Him in the gospel. The gospel is for everyone. Now, of course, we all have to live out our different assignments. The Lord has assigned different circumstances to each. And there are implications in all of these things. But when it comes to your individual standing before God and in the Christian community, none of these things matter. You get to be you. So not only should you embrace your own situation, but you should embrace others too. Whatever situation another person is in when called, embrace that situation for them. And don't seek to change another person outside of biblical wise counsel. Don't seek to change a person because God has called them in their assignment. We need each other, don't we? Let's seek to affirm one another in the Lord's assignment for each one of us. Let's affirm one another in that because He is sovereign and He is good, isn't He? And because He is sovereign and good, your circumstances are good because God has assigned it to you. Live it out faithfully. Remain as you are called with a view toward the gospel. Father, we thank You so much for Your faithful, loving, and gracious hand that has not only rescued us, was also led us in the gospel, guided us each day. By your Spirit's work, we are yours, and by your Spirit's work, we will live for you no matter where we are, knowing you have put us there. Lord, give us just deeper and deeper insight as to how we are to live for you in our circumstances, that you would be honored in our life, and that we would worship you truly from the heart each moment of each day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.